Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Needs Don Draper is Martin Harrison, Strategy Director at True. Before joining True, Martin was Strategy Partner at Wonderman Thompson. He's also held senior positions at Huge and TMW. Martin's been helping brands of all sizes grapple with the challenges and opportunities of building strong brands. He's the winner of an IPA Effectiveness Award in 2011 and is a regular speaker on brand building, including at South by Southwest in 2015 and 2016. So Martin Harrison, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. First off, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you? (laughs) Um, uh, drinking more, I think. <laughs> no, being being a bit more Don Draper. I think in the B two B world in particular, it's about um, engaging people emotionally and thinking about the brand as a whole rather than individual products or services, and, and telling people exactly how they work and what their rational benefits are. And with all that in mind, what do you think the problem with B two B is right now? There's, a, I mean, there's a range of problems. I think the overall one is the quality of the creative work um, and the insights that are behind it. I was in Cannes last week, and um, one of the things that was called out was the B two B lions for the first time. And one of the things that was called out was the lack of craft in B two B. So there's kind of a investment in execution and an investment in 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 creative um, kind of excellence that's missing. But on the other side, on my side as a strategist, what I see a lot in B two B is that people don't really understand when people are thinking about buying them. So in the world of B2C, you know, I worked with Unilever and I worked with Diageo and I've worked with other brands like that. And they can describe in minute detail what people are doing when they're making a decision about buying one of their products. You know, they're in a supermarket, they're planning a meal, they're planning a great night out, you know, they're with their friends, all of that type of stuff. When we think about somebody buying a B2B product, you know, whether it's a piece of software, whether it's office furniture or something like that, almost no one that I've spoken to has got a real understanding of the emotional state, the need state, what is happening in that buying situation. And therefore, the ability to emotionally engage them is kind of stunted and you end up just talking about products. Uh, so let's go back to your CV. Before you joined True, you were at Wonderman Thompson. Uh, what sort of things were you working on there and what attracted you to True? Um, at Wonderman Thompson, um, I started off working on BT Global, which is the bit of BT that sells networking services to, to, to massive global organizations, which kind of was the thing that got me into to business to business to begin with. Um, and then over time, I took over uh, BT Enterprise, which is the bit that sells services to UK businesses, um, then ended up pitching for Sage, um, which obviously sells um, uh, accounting software to small and medium businesses. So suddenly I had a, a, a stable of, of B2B clients um, that I was running. So I was kind of strategy partner. So I oversaw the strategy a- across all of them. And um Basically, kind of, you know, to do that job properly, I had to get a bit of a crash course in in B2B and kind of understand how B2B worked. And kind of one of the first things, again, that I kind of saw was it really isn't very, very interesting. People don't tend to communicate in very, very interesting ways. And so just by being a bit more interesting and just by focusing on the brand a little bit more effectively, which is what we did with Sage, which we'll probably talk about in a bit more detail, by kind of highlighting the brand an awful lot, a, a little bit more. 
you saw immediate business results, not just in terms of the brand, but in terms of kind of immediate sales results, immediate leads, all of that type of stuff. Um, so that kind of led me to thinking that there's a real opportunity in B2B to be a brand building business in B2B, not you know, lots of B2B companies talk about um, or agencies talk about data and targeting and hyper targeting and content, and white papers and downloads and all of that type of stuff. Whereas I saw an opportunity to kind of be much more what we would call top of the funnel and much more kind of brand led. Um, so I outlined that um, in front of Richard, who's uh, one of the co-founders of True. And um, he sidled up to me afterwards and offered me a job mm-hmm. um, on the basis that True have always 10 years old now, have always focused on that bit. And it was kind of a lone, there were lonely voices in the wilderness for a good few years. But now I think the market's catching up. You can see, I mean, I've, I've got into the habit of taking pictures of B2B brands advertising in the London Underground because there's just so many that are starting to take that approach. So um, I thought, well, yeah, let's go to the specialists and see if we can build something. Great stuff. And there's obviously a, a creative future for everybody coming up now. So you said before when we spoke, uh, you think there's more opportunity to do great work in B2B. Can you explain why you think that's the case? I think that, um, I mean, I go back to the thing, for, like, so I'm a strategist, right? So I like an edge. Um, I like kind of to see a, a way to win. Um, and in B2B, kind of, you know, coming from a brand point of view, doing creative work, doing emotionally engaging work um, is a very, very easy way to win. It's a very efficient edge, which makes it even more attractive. So essentially, you've got kind of um, uh, people in quite a long buying cycle, right? So it takes two to three years, really, for somebody to buy, unless you're kind of, I don't know, selling, you know, kind of reams of paper or something like that. Uh, even then, you'll probably have a contract which will come up for renewal once every two or three years. Um, over that kind of buying cycle, the idea that somebody, unless you're advertising all the time, the idea that somebody might be in the market for the thing that you're selling at the precise moment that you're selling it is a little bit crazy. But the idea that when they suddenly recognize that the business has a need that needs to be fulfilled, that they immediately think of your brand is a much, much, actually a much, much easier thing to do. It requires, you know, kind of thinking differently about how you advertise as a B2B business. And it requires most of the time, it's a bit of a negotiation with the business internally, as opposed to to kind of um, externally to help people understand that actually, instead of saying that, you know, our particular doohickey has got these three features that other people who make similar doohickeys don't have. Uh, if you're saying something that's kind of much more interesting about the business and the brand and what the brand stands for, then you're much more likely to be considered when somebody needs that thing, whatever it might be. And then rewarding that edge that you're talking about, we've got the launch of the B2B Creative Lions at Cannes, a pretty big deal for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to tell me how you feel about that one? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I have to say I was a little bit sceptical to begin with, because I think I'm, I'm, I would say um, that B2B brands should be striving to win lions in all of the categories, to be honest. So, you know, we should be kind of, you know, doing stuff like brand building purpose, craft, film, um, all of the traditional poster stuff, all of that type of stuff. So my ambition would be that B2B brands should be winning anyway, not just winning um, the B2B one. But having said that, I do think that uh, when you are there and you're kind of looking at the work, it told a very clear story, first of all, about the incredible business effects that you get from doing really good creative work in B2B. Secondly, it's possible to do really, really interesting, really, really creative stuff in B2B. There were some wonderful case studies. There was one in particular called Black Business Beats, which was about encouraging South American hip hop stars to use black owned businesses as their brand references in their songs, as opposed to the traditional kind of luxury brands. Like that's a really, really interesting thing. You've got culture, you've got hip hop, you've got business owners. It was done during Black History Month. It was kind of loads of really interesting stuff, but it was fundamentally a B2B proposition. So some really, really interesting stuff. But it did also, I think, make anyone I spoke to who was, let's say, a bit more old school B2B, it was a sudden kind of 
oh God, like this is big time. Like, you know, you don't just win by turning up or by having the best results. You need to have the craft. You need to have the insights. You need to have the story over a long period of time. You need to have the creative commitment. All of those things that we we, we will kind of always encourage any client to, to look at. The Lions kind of very clearly, you know, made the case for um, uh, really, really great work, delivers really, really great results. Mm, so inspiring and challenging at the same time. Yeah, I would say, actually, I think probably the intention was that it would be inspiring, but I think the outcome is that it is quite challenging, that it's kind of been a bit of a, a, a wake-up call to a lot of people, which is great. And, and speaking of a wake-up call, why do you think that ambitious creative thinking hasn't been the norm? Uh, why, have, why have traditional B2B agencies been stuck in a bit of a rut? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but I think um, there's a weird thing um that i've noticed which is a lot of b2b organizations this isn't this isn't weird this is perfectly normal actually a lot of b2b organizations have got quite large sales functions um and often the sales function will be quite a dominant function within the organization and actually there's quite a lot of b2b organizations where they have what they call an account management function or a client services function or something like that which actually is a de facto sales force and what they're trying to do is grow the client so the assumption is that they're doing all the work, right? So it's their kind of outbound sales work. It's their meetings. It's their kind of relationship with people. That's what's driving growth. And so because that drives growth, that gets invested in. And then marketing is kind of behind the sales team. And essentially, in a lot of cases, the marketing team is a support function for sales, right? And that support function will either mean they're creating collateral for the salespeople to use so that will be white papers, leaflets, all of that type of stuff, or they're creating leads and opportunities for the salespeople to convert. So that would be kind of your lead generation, all of that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So the internal conversation then becomes about maximizing the amount of quality leads. So you have all this sales qualified lead, marketing qualified lead, all of that language. But the role of marketing is to maximize the amount of um, uh, quality leads and ability to convert that the sales team has. That then tends to, because it's kind of a sales mentality, it focuses on short-term numbers it focuses on the next opportunity it focuses on conversion it focuses on you know kind of amount of contacts made and so marketing is very much measured on a set of what really are sales kpis right and i think um the b2b um uh, industry the agency side have been very very good at optimizing those things right so you know, the whole thing around, you know, hyper-targeting against the right person at the right time when they're intent-driven marketing, so we understand that they're in the market for a particular product or service, all of this type of stuff tells a very good story about um, we'll be able to find someone in the market for the thing that you sell, get their email address or contact details, and then you'll be able to convert that person at a particular level and growth is delivered and that's how it works. Um that has led to, I think, just an underestimation of, well, two things. First of all, marketing's role as a brand builder as a driver of long-term growth, not short-term kind of, you know, sales targets, et cetera, but growth over, you know, kind of the, the, the long-term where people are proactively coming to you because they know what you do or coming to you because they know what the brand stands for. Um, so marketing doesn't really deliver against that. And then secondly, I think that um, the resources of the marketing team invariably become very, very focused on demonstrating their value. And the way they demonstrate their value is by hitting those short-term KPIs. So I think that's why, the kind of whole industry is, is is essentially it's there to support a sales function as opposed to drive the brand and the business forward. Um, uh, and I think the businesses that are doing it really, really well are the ones that balance those two things uh, really effectively. 
And how then uh, would an agency who does want to jump the tracks and become less sales-driven, more creative-driven, how do they up their creative skills? What's, what practical advice can you give them? The first thing I'd say is I don't think there is such a thing as being less sales-driven and more creative-driven. Um, one of the things that I've kind of noticed in B2B is that if you do something more interesting and more creative, in general, because of the low standard of everything else, it's also more effective than everything else. So because, I mean, essentially, if the point of the point of generating leads is that you're out there and you're getting noticed and people consider you for the need that they've got, if you do something that's really creative and cuts through, you're kind of going to generate as much response as something that's like super highly targeted that kind of really speaks the right language and all of that type of stuff. So I think there's a false, I think one of the first things is that creativity supports and drives sales. It's not kind of an an and or an or. The second thing I think is um, there's a really good um, kind of economic story that the B2B Institute outlined that uh, I think is very effective, which is to say that the purpose of marketing is to build the brand as an asset for long-term growth. And the way that that comes to life is very few people are in the market to buy what you're selling at any given time. The Ehrenberg Bass Institute says um, only 5% of your market are ready to buy at any one time, which means 95% of people are not ready to buy. And what marketing should be is an investment against those 95% of people so that when they are ready to buy, you're already on the list. So the phrase that I use quite often is a famous brand is always on the consideration list, right? If the function of hyper-targeting and the function of kind of, you know, the, the more data-driven B2B is to get on the consideration list, well, if you're a famous brand, you're already on the consideration list. So I think that's kind of the financial, the economic argument is that it's actually um, an investment in longer term growth. Um, and, that, and and in B2B, I think it happens an awful lot more quickly than it does in B2C. I think the second thing then is what I was talking about at the top, which is about understanding what happens when your buyer moves from not being in the market to being in the market, right? There's a moment when it happens. And generally at the moment, we focus on either, uh, we tend to focus on when they've made the decision they're going to buy something, then let's go, you know, make, help them make the decision to buy it from us. But actually, if you can then figure out what it is that um, the, the things that are driving that business to make that decision, you can then figure out very, very creative ways to speak to them around that need. And that then has other economic benefits, right? So it's not just that you'll be the brand thought of when they recognize that need. You can also accelerate their desire for that, right? You can speed up the decision-making. You can shortcut the decision-making an awful lot of times. So I think the way to think about creativity is very much actually to, to, to sorry, I feel like I'm attacking your question, but it's very, much do, to, please do. it's very much to not say that there is a dichotomy between being creative and driving sales. It's to say in actual fact, being creative is the most effective way to drive sales because fundamentally you want people to remember you. If they remember you when they move into the buying kind of zone, they will think of you. And the way that they you make it memorable is by creative, interesting, striking, cut-through work. You make a good argument, and I feel definitely like I've been told. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so how would uh, B2B brands, how do they go about creating the fame that you're talking about? Well, I mean, there's there's kind of two things. So, I mean, um, in in how brands grow, Byron Sharp talks about uh, he's he's got this line that he says, which is that um, a lot of brands, a lot of brands strive for meaningful differentiation. They'd be better off striving for meaningless distinctiveness. Um, now, you can see that kind of taken a little bit literally in the B two C world. So, you know, there's a kind of trend for ads that have got like you know penguins in them, or people hula hooping, or kind of you know these kind of like slightly bizarre, slightly random 
uh, ads that you notice, right? And it does it does work, right? It does get noticed. What I find quite often is it's very difficult to remember what the brand is sometimes. So you remember mm-hmm. the ad. Like if I say the ad with the guy hula hooping, I think you can probably remember the ad, but I'd be surprised if you can immediately tell me what brand it's from. So what we talk about, particularly in B2B, is meaningful distinctiveness, right? So that's being distinctive, but attaching it to a particular need, a particular emotional state, a particular buying need um, that the user has, right? So um, my kind of go-to example on this is uh, Sage, which was my previous client at Wonderman Thompson. And what we saw there was that somebody sets up a small business because they want to be in control of their lives, right? They want to be master of their own destiny. Three, four, maybe six months in, depending on how well it's going, you get overwhelmed by finance and management at which point it feels like your business is out of control because you don't really understand the mechanics of it. And what we saw was a category that very much said, you know, don't worry your little head about it. We'll do, we'll do the hard bit and you concentrate on being like a tattoo artist or a florist or whatever it is. So we thought, well, actually, the message should be we'll put you back in control. We'll give you that emotional need. We'll service the, the reason why you set up a business in the first place was your desire for control. You're losing it. We'll give you that feeling of control back. And so then it's like kind of how can we then be known and be memorable for the people who put you in control? And that's where um, the idea of boss it came from. So this idea of kind of like you'll be the boss, that very confident feeling, that very kind of in charge feeling. And we could get like all the product stuff they love talking about. We're mobile and you can do this, this and this and all the product benefits. They're all in the ad. But what we're delivering is the emotional need. Right. You wanted to be in control. We're putting you back in control. And that proved to be very, very powerful. So. I think for B2B brands, it's about going through that process, right? What is the need? What's the reason that somebody is is thinking of buying the thing from you that they're going to buy? What's the emotional need? And then how can you bring to life your ability to deliver against that emotional need in a really, really memorable, really, really interesting way? It's very Don Draper, I think. Yeah. I mean, everything's kind of emotional. It even comes down to like we, um, I used to, my old colleague Nina, we used to talk about, it's as simple as like getting fired or getting promoted, right? So you know, some people, if you're, you, you'll be entering the same category to buy the same thing, but one person might be, do you know what? I want to make the most risk-free purchase because I just want to get this through and I don't want anybody to question it, right? The other mm-hmm. person might go, do you know what? I'm going to absolutely smash this and get the best possible solution because this is my chance to be a star in the business. And those two people are going to buy a different solution. So this question of like, do you want to be the safe option or do you want to be the innovative option? And you can kind of see this kind of language of safety or innovation coming through in a lot of B2B stuff. But that's as far as it goes, right? And the idea is like, you know, make a bit more of a leap, be a bit more stimulating, be a bit more emotionally engaging um, once you've got that insight. And are there any other examples that you can give us of that type of thing? Bold, creative work that, that's really impressed you? Well, I mean, bold, creative work is, is, is quite a tricky one because it's not, it's not that common um, in the world of B2B. But the stuff that I like is the stuff that kind of, you know, is, is, is a proper commitment over a period of time, right? So my, my personal favourite is the best run SAP. So I remember, um, you know, years ago being in airports and you would have literally SAP would be everywhere and it'd say the best run SAP. It would say Jaguar Land Rover run SAP or, um, God, I'm trying to think of another big organization, Diageo run SAP, right? And so it's this idea that the biggest companies, the biggest, like most innovative companies, they run SAP, right? So it was a very much kind of like, um, it was a way of kind of, it's like a peer group thing, right? Because that essentially is social proof, right? They didn't list what SAP was or what it did, or it took me a while to find out what SAP actually was. But I knew that SAP was this thing that big successful businesses used. 
So they had a very clear statement, which was pulling on, you know, in behavioral economics terms, we call it, yeah, social proof. And um, the idea of like, if you feel like you're that type of business, then, you know, you should be in this kind of, um, you should be in this environment. Um, and then in, in previous times, they've kind of twisted it a little bit so that they talk about environmentally sustainable businesses and ethical businesses and how those are now the best run businesses and they run SAP. So again, they were able to flex the thing, but it's this idea of, um, there are a set of really, really well-run, really clever businesses out here, and all of them are using our software. So you should be doing it as well. That's an emotional appeal. That's not a rational thing. I mean, you can argue it's rational, but it's not. It's an emotional thing. I often say that the you know people who switch to using Google Suite, they often do it because they want to project themselves as a collaborative, forward-thinking, young and technically literate business, right? Because it's objectively not better than Windows. It's just not, you know, kind of Hangouts is not better than Teams, but there's a certain kind of statement you're making as a business if you buy Google. Um, so I kind of, I like what Google do um, uh, around that. I really like what Apple did with the um, the whole kind of work from home thing where they had their little crew that set up their own business and they kind of integrated. Basically, it was this idea of freedom and creativity, which is kind of classic Apple territory. They quit their jobs and started their own business and they're all kind of collaborating over all the various kind of Apple things and setting up, you know, kind of their website and all that type of stuff. Huge amounts of product benefits and huge amounts of product information, but wrapped up in this wrapper of kind of, you know, freedom, creativity, you know, kind of setting up your own business and telling the boss that you quit and all of that type of stuff. So that I really, really like as well, that kind of storytelling approach. Interesting. So going back to your past roles at previous agencies, what did you think about marketing to consumers compared with B2B customers? Well, it's kind of weird. I see the industry in general has got a bit of a blind spot around B2B. So it was kind of, it was always a thing that somebody else who was sat over there did, or you'd have like one particular client that was doing it. Um, and it was kind of all the glamorous stuff was in, was in the world of B2C because, you know, you got to do TV ads or posters and stuff that your mum would see. So it was always this kind of like, you know, the, the, this little bit of a dichotomy. But then the thing is like kind of, first of all, you kind of get into it. And um, one of the things that I've learned over the years is it's never about the brand. It's always about the client. So kind of I've worked with one of some of the most amazing brands in the world and it's been an absolute nightmare. Um, and then I've worked with some kind of quite, you know, kind of brands that you might say were quite dull and quite prosaic. And because the client was ambitious, we were able to do some incredible work. And I think one of the interesting things about B2B at the moment is that there are more and more clients who are starting to want to do really cut through work because they can see the amazing potential of growth that will come from doing that. And also, I think as well, being able to market to SMEs means that you're kind of in an, a bit of an intermediary zone between kind of consumers and, and proper enterprise stuff. And that means you can start using outdoor and TV and all of that type of stuff. Plus, we've now got the targeting, which means that um, all sorts of video and all sorts of creative platforms are available, um, even if you are marketing to quite a tight B2B audience. Um, so I think we're kind of, I think the two worlds are kind of colliding a little bit at the moment, and that's quite exciting. Well, last question on this then. How important is it to you to reach everyone who can potentially buy from you or, or maybe in the future they, they would come back to you? And how much do you think about category reach? I think it's the single most important thing. Again, it goes back to that 95% rule, right? 95% of people are not ready to buy from you. And if you're constantly, there's two, if you, if you ignore those 95% people and you only focus on the 5%, you're basically starting from scratch kind of every three months, finding a new set of people, advertising to them again, all of that type of stuff. Or you're wasting a significant amount of your budget because you're going at people, you're trying to convert people who are not ready to be converted. Um, uh, if, I mean, <laughs> so what's the, the thing that I use? Like Rolls-Royce doesn't need, um, 
everybody to know that they make jet engines, but they need everybody who might buy a jet engine to know that they make jet engines, um, which might kind of sound prosaic because everybody kind of knows that they make jet engines. But there's a reason, right? Because it's not a it's not a high frequency purchase. It's not something that people do very often. So it's really, really important that as soon as kind of people think about that need, that you're the first brand that they think of, because then you're automatically on the consideration list. Like my brother um, is a construction manager. He builds skyscrapers. So, you know, they'll be looking at lifts. So, you know, kind of you'll, you'll know from being a lift, you've got Kony, you've got Schindler, you've got kind of another Mitsubishi makes lifts. But like at that point, he'll be thinking, right, who am I going to speak to? And he already has a list of brands. And it's really mm-hmm. that is kind of so powerful. That's such a powerful piece of real estate. You know, kind of, was it, they say the most the, the, the first search engine, search engine that we use is our head. Um, and if you're already on kind of, you know, page one of the search results in your head, God, I'm really stretching this analogy. <laughs> if you're already on page one of the search results in people's heads, you know, people understand that being uh, on page one of Google search results is an incredibly valuable place to be. And they will spend literally millions of dollars in search engine optimization and content in order to make sure they're on that first page. Before you even Google something, you think about it, you do a mental search, right? If you can be the first two or three brands that are thought of at that point, you're way ahead of everybody. So it's really, really important that everybody who might buy from you knows who you are and knows what they can buy from you. It's the it's the single most valuable property that you can build. Very compelling, and uh, it's it's just a question of how easy is it to get into people's heads that way. Well, it takes time, it takes commitment, but it's um, not as hard as it as people make it out to be. Not, not impossible. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Not impossible. There are, we all have the brands there at our fingertips, so so why not go for it? Yeah, exactly. And all that brings us, I think, to the rapid fire round. I'm going to throw some choices at you, uh, and I just want you to respond as quickly as you can, and we can stop and have a chat as we go if you like. So, are you ready for this one? Uh, you think so? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one, advertising or ABM? Advertising. And why would you say that? Um, just what I said, category reach, being able to advertising is the only way that you can make everybody aware of what you do. A logic or magic? <laughs> um, logic, then magic. Um, oh, cake and eating it. Yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> Brand building or lead generation? Brand building. How would Don Draper fix the problem in B2B? It's about emotion, isn't it? What he would do, I think, is he would paint a picture of the person who's making the buying decision. And that picture would then be the springboard for what you eventually do. So let me give you an example. I was doing this the other day, right? So um, we were talking to a management consultancy and I said, so imagine, right, you have just joined a new organization or you've just been given a new role or a new project and you've got a thing that you need to deliver. And that thing is a strategically important kind of, you know, piece of work for the business, right? It's something that you, you've been put in charge of. So you go off and you do it and you speak to everybody and you kind of get everything going and you build your team and all of that type of stuff. And then three months in, nothing's happening, right? Because all organizations have got inertia, right? And the bigger the organization is, the more inertia it's got and the harder it is to make something happen, right? So that person, they're pushing, 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 nothing's happening. They're getting all mired up in kind of the corporate and all of that type of stuff. They sit in their office or they sit at their seat or they sit at their desk or they're sitting at home and they just lean back and they look at the ceiling and they go, I just want to get this moving. And the point at which they think, I just want to get that moving, that's when they should think of you. That's when they should think, I know, I know he'll get this moving. I know what I need to do. I need to bring in a consultant and that consultant will get this shit done. When you think of it like that, you then start to think, well, how can we be the one that makes them think, right, I need to get it moving? How can we be the brand that they think of at that point? How do we associate ourselves with that moment? 
that then becomes really interesting because it's you start to think about you know how you might use movement how you might talk about kind of progression all of those types of things but i think for me the thing that's really missing i think i said it at the beginning of really missing in b2b is that insight into what somebody thinking and feeling and doing at the moment at which they decide they need the thing that you sell and how then therefore can you be the one that they think of when they recognize that need and then if you could tell all ceos to read one book on the beach this summer what would it be <laughs> um, I'm just looking at my bookshelf. I mean, I refer to um, how brands grow an awful lot. Um, I think it's absolutely fascinating and very well argued. So yeah, read how brands grow. And then the other the other thing that I encourage everybody to read um, is the uh, Nicholas Talib tril- trilogy. So um, Black Swan, Fooled by Randomness and Anti-Fragile. Good stuff. That's a slightly random word, but, but yeah, go with that. Good books. Uh, and then finally, uh, what's your favourite Don Draper moment or quotation? <laughs> Do you know what? I've never actually watched Mad Men. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. I, to be honest, um, at the time when it came out, I was in a really miserable job. It was just very funny. It was literally in the three months that it came out and everybody was going mad about it. I was like, this in no sense reflects what my day-to-day reality is. And it's so depressing that it could be like that, that I can't even watch it. And because of that, I never watched it. <laughs> Too much though, of a busman's holiday. Exactly. Even though my life has been has had its Mad Men moments since. Oh, well, you have a, you have a good excuse. We'll let you off. <laughs> so Martin Harrison, all it leaves me to say is thanks so much for coming on board and giving us some really great advice and tips about everything to do with creative marketing. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. I'm Stuart Black. See you next time on B2B Needs Don Draper.